Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is Kelsey Russo of The Athletic. First off, thanks for dropping by again to talk some Cavs basketball. And uh, secondly, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be back and talk to Cavs. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to, you know, hear different perspectives on this team because it's it's all over the place sometimes. You just never quite know which end of the spectrum you're going to fall in <laughs> by the time you're uh, done talking with another Cavs fan. Uh, that said, man, we, we've had a lot of time to sit back and just digest everything. And me personally, I've had the opportunity to sit back and just observe some of the other series in this postseason, some very good basketball being played. Uh, I've been reflecting upon this Cavs series, you know, since then. And it feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like, like it's in a whole different. other season. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that said, I mean, you know, we, we've gotten to hear numerous opinions on just what went wrong for the Cavs and many different points of view. And everybody has a slight variation on that, but they all kind of follow the same general theme in regards to what went wrong. But as someone who covers the Cavs pretty extensively, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what exactly went awry for this young Cavaliers team. Yeah, I think um, it was kind of interesting. I, like after the, after the series ended, I took a couple of days to really think and just kind of reflect, kind of look at things bigger picture. And in my head, a lot of it came down to the inexperience aspect. And I know that was talked about to, you know, at nauseum, but it really does play a really important factor um, that I think can't be just kind of brushed to the side as not being important, you know, a lot of these guys hadn't been, you know, to Darius, Isaac, Evan had never been to the playoffs before. Collectively, you're learning to play as a group together. Um, so I think that kind of was at the heart of all of it. I think another aspect, obviously, too, is, you know, they just did not shoot well at all. And that was that was the big thing is if you're not, yes, you could play really, really good defense minus their, the keeping them off the offensive boards. But if you they played really solid defense throughout the whole series. But if you can't make shots, that's not going to matter and to the to the degree it needs to. So I think those kind of factors in it all. I think a third thing, um, and Donovan talked about this a lot, like you know, after game three, after game four, after game five, in his exit interview, like he didn't live up to what he needed to be for his guys. And I think his responsibility of that, like you know, he was supposed to take this team to another level in the playoffs because of his experience. And that just didn't translate for a number of different reasons. And um, not like, and I think all of those factors kind of really played into it. But like I wrote after, um, you know, a couple of days later when I was reflecting, it's okay. Like in, in my head, like, I think it's, this is okay. Like they finished where I thought they were going to finish when I when I looked at this at the beginning of the season. Granted, obviously things changed during the year when the Nets um, changed directions, but I didn't think they would maybe necessarily make it out of the first round. You know, like maybe they would make it to the second round, but like a first round playoff experience is, was what this Cavs team needed. And probably maybe, you know, game six, game seven would have been better for them, but they just needed to make the playoffs, get this experience see what it's all about. And now they can take that and learn from that. So I really see this as just like a step in their progression and it's not a bad step. This was a necessary step. And this result, even though yes, it is not what 
any of them wanted or many Cavs fans wanted. It's a learning opportunity and it's a necessary learning opportunity and it shouldn't be viewed as a negative, shouldn't be viewed as a failure. Like, yes, the, Giannis's quote is like <laughs> ringing through in my head a lot of, yeah. yes, it would, they failed per se, but it's not a failure, especially with where this team is at. They are just, they're continuing to grow and we can't negate the fact that like, or we can't forget the fact that two years ago they won 22 games and you know what I mean? And yes. then last year they went to 44 and that was a really, really big jump. And it was a jump that not a lot of people expected, but that was a really significant jump. And then this year, yes, you've traded for Donovan Mitchell. So that's going to raise your, your ceiling. Um, but they made it to 51 wins, which hasn't been done since 2017, 18. Um, yeah. Final LeBron year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's a big deal. And like, and it's just, it's just a part of this process in my head is how I, how I see it all. That's a very sane point of view. <laughs> so thank you for bringing that to the table. And because, you know, you see so much of this vitriol spewed out there in regards to, you know, this Cavs team should be in title contention. This is a failure, blah, blah, blah. And in my opinion, you know, it's a disappointment to go out like the Cavs did. None, you know, that that to me is not so much up for debate, but a failure, I don't see it that way. I think, you know, just like you pointed out, it's a very inexperienced Cavaliers team in that regard. Not many of them had true playoff experience. I mean, you could probably count them on one hand. Yeah. Uh, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Ricky Rubio, uh, guys like that have all been there. Donovan Mitchell, obviously. You know, they've been there, but they haven't necessarily – they don't carry a dearth of, mm-hmm. of you know, wealth of knowledge in that regard in regards to playoff basketball. The experience level is just not there. And it to me, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up the Giannis of it all because to me it's like the statement that, that we all saw that Jared Allen put out there. That That's a very human type of thing to, yeah. to say. It takes a lot of courage to say that. And – the, the direct parallels between what him and Giannis said, I think, should be taken into account. Like, this is a Cavaliers team that is on the rise, but is not quite at title contention. Giannis is, and they have a whole yeah. bunch of expectation there. Um, just just from that aspect, I, I kind of view it as, you know, a learning experience as well. I think that there are obviously things on the basketball side of town, you know, that could have been done to you know uh to win a few more games i mean keeping them off of the offensive glass that was one of the things that we knew was going to be a major uh point of contention uh heading into that series just because that's something that new york did so well during the regular season mm-hmm. and it's not like they shot well they they yes. shot piss poor from the field <laughs> in both the playoffs and I, I believe the caps held them to the third fewest amount of points during that time frame and they have the Cavs still hold the best defensive rating in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's insane. It's just couldn't couldn't knock down a shot, um, couldn't space the floor uh, predictably. You know, with with some of the questions that we have here in regards to the front court. But in my eyes, I just think there's a lot of overreactions in regards to where this team is at right now and where they should be headed. Um, with that, with that in mind, you know, I just. I have to ask because it's the biggest elephant in the room, and I'm sure you already know what I'm about to say. There's, it's it's going to be the talk of the off season and, and until the 2023-24 season begins. Honestly, uh, you know the Cavs roster in general. There there have been a lot of 
trade ideas thrown out there, and most of them center around one Jared Allen. In your opinion, you know, just just based off of this past these past two seasons, and then maybe most importantly, this playoff series. Do you believe that the front court pairing of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen can coexist long term? Personally, I do. I I think we've seen enough during the regular seasons that it can work. Like, and because again, I kind of think looking at just the playoffs is a little bit of an overreaction. You know, we've, we've seen the way that the two of them have, how they protect the paint, how they protect the rim. Um, They, they work off of one another really, really well. I think a lot of this is going to be also Evan's growth, Um, but they have talked about, and and I think we've really seen it, like Jarrett really is the anchor of their defense. His ability to protect the rim is so crucial to what they do. And it's not saying it's perfect. There's obviously space, some spacing issues, but he is such a big proponent of that. And we've seen that when he was out with, different injuries or we think of I would think of last year you know when they were like the finger injury oh, and how things just went downhill without him on the court and then obviously they also lost Evan for that with at the end of there too for a little bit but that te- that you know down period basically happened because they did not have Jared on the on the court and I think we saw that you know then we saw it throughout this season just how crucial he is um Obviously, there is plenty of room for them to grow, but I think a lot of this too is the Knicks mat like wasn't a great matchup for the Cavs, I think. And I think I that yeah, and that that plays a really big factor in this. And like, like so, and it's not just totally on Jarrett and Evan to grab the offensive rebounds, it's on everybody. And I think a lot of that they they noticed that they took it, they took responsibility for that. Of it can't just be those two. Um just being the only two people active on the boards. So um, I think though, like Evan, if Evan can take a step forward um, in his third year, it just allows those two to really coexist better. Um, and I think they'll just continue to grow. You know, you think about it, this was Evan's second year, this is their <laughs> second year together, you know? So it's like, there's still kind of a little bit of room for them to grow together. And I think we have, we can see that, where they have grown. I think of like the big to big lob passes, like that wasn't a thing when their first year and now it really is. Um, they have, they read off one another really well. They have um, a really good chemistry. They, they know how to build off of one another. And I think that can just continue to grow um, and function. So I don't know. I don't think personally that they should, you know, look to move on from him in a trade. I don't think you, there's really a better, option (laughs) I think like um it just makes sense you know that that they are the base of your you know your front court they are the base of your defense if you're going to continue to build this around your defense I think that makes a ton of sense too because you know you're talking about obviously a very very young player in Evan Mobley who probably has the most potential of anybody on this Cavaliers team. Not even probably, he does. Yeah. It's just yeah. flat out on both ends. He's already, uh, you know, finishing almost near the top a defensive player of the year. He's probably going to win one within the next few seasons. Um, on offense, he is still a work in progress, obviously, but still as unpolished as he is, he's still giving you a really good stat line. Still had a career high this season. 
Um, the only problem between the two is just the spacing. And one of them, probably going to have to be Mobley, is going to have to become a respectable shooter at, at, at some point. But I just don't think we need to talk about that like ad nauseum right now. I don't think it's come to the point where you have to choose. Yeah. And uh, to your point, I don't think you really have a choice. Uh, you know, you're not – if you move Jared Allen, you're not necessarily going to bring back – exactly what the Cavs are looking for right now, exactly what they need, which is a, um, you know, a viable upgrade at the three at some point. A lot of people see it that way. You're not going to be able to secure that and a starting caliber center in that deal without including multiple assets. The Cavs just don't have to be able to shell out right now. Um, so for better or worse, I think you just need to stick it out and, and, and see what this, what this tandem can do. I think a lot of that is going to have to, you know, a lot of that is also going to depend upon what happens at that three position. Yes. Um, that that does play a part in the spacing concerns as well, which kind of brings me to the next guy up here. Um, Isaac Okoro. Um, I am a huge Isaac Okoro fan. I'll just go ahead and put that out there right now. So I'm, I'm not going to try and sound like a homer here. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I still believe in him. You know, I think that he has potential, but I do recognize that there are legitimate concerns what, about whether or not he can coexist in that front court with the other two, given the fact that he is not yet known as a respected shooter. And I think you saw that play out not only this not only this postseason, but you saw that a little bit in the play-in last year too. Mm-hmm. Him getting limited action because of his inability to space the floor. Um, this postseason, I want to say that all thirteen of his three-point attempts were considered open or wide open, and for good reason. As much as I hate to say it, um, the defense is daring him to shoot and clogging the paint. That's just what they're going to do. That's what New York did to a T and it worked. Uh, but just to kind of tie a bow on this on to, to throw a question your way, because I know you've started a in-depth analysis on the Cavs roster as a whole, in particular highlighting uh, specific players. And I know your most recent article was on one Isaac Coral. Mm-hmm. Fantastic read, by the way, you guys should Thank go you. check it out. Uh, but for those of you who have not, I was just hoping that Kelsey could kind of give us a little bit of a um, thought process, a little bit of a look into her evaluation process here of Isaac Okoro. And, you know, what are your thoughts on his season in particular? Did he live up to your expectations? Do you think he lived up to the Cavs? Mm-hmm. And where do you see him ultimately? Do you, do you believe he belongs on this Cavs team heading forward into the future? Yeah, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing because, because, when I when I went back and kind of was looking at it as a whole, they drafted Isaac for his defensive prowess. Like that is, he was known for his defensive game, and we've seen that in his first three seasons. You know, they they put him on some of the best guards or some of the best you know perimeter players in the league, um, and he's really really strong at you know locking down his man, making tough shot shots tough for them, and just really really good defensively. Um, and I and that hasn't changed. But on the offensive end, you know, that hasn't translated. Like you said, you know, they the Knicks really just left him open the corners so they could send another body to guard, either guard, like to clog the paint or guard Darius and Donovan and take them out of the offense and daring Isaac to shoot. And 
I think what was difficult is because Isaac did so much work over the summer focusing on his shot. There was this idea that they wanted to unlock him offensively. They wanted to find more ways for him to be um, active offensively and not just, you know, out in transition or cutting to the basket, just like being able to grow his game and be an effective perimeter threat. And so he spent the summer um, working with, you know, their shooting coach, Andrew Olson on his shot and did a ton of work and, so he came into the preseason and training camp feeling really solid about that. And, and they had seen a ton of growth, but I think a part of it at the same time. So bringing in, you know, Donovan kind of changed their whole lineup and kind of just sort of created another like factor where they had to sort of figure out, okay, Donovan's going to get his shots. Darius is going to get his shots. There's only one ball. Like how are they all going to get it? And um, especially too, I, you know, I, I actually thought about this. I don't think it's in the piece, but I was thinking about this after the fact of Isaac, his like role has changed so much so in his much. three yeah. years, like not just like, he's always been that defensive guy, but you know, he went from starting at the three and then moving over to the two, especially when Colin got hurt last year. And now he's back at the three and starting coming off the bench, then starting again, you know? And so there's just kind of been, a lack of consistency in that aspect that I think really can't be forgotten about. Like that, that does affect you um, and your ability to find a rhythm. I think we saw it not, not just Fitz, but it, like in my head, like we saw it with Karis of, you know, he eventually moving to the bench allowed him to find that rhythm. So it's kind of similar with Isaac of there hasn't been that consistency. Um, so all that to say, you know, he and it was really interesting in his exit interview he's very much aware of like where he's at and where things are at of like he knows what he is defensively but he also knows he really needs to grow as a perimeter threat and be that three-point shooter and knock down those shots when um when he has them and when they're open and while they have instilled that confidence in him and they always tell him to shoot those shots when he gets them um it's just a consistency factor and being able to do it at the necessary volume. So I think it will be interesting because, you know, this is the last year of his contract. So there is that question of, is he um, a part of this team long-term? And I think part of this is going to come down to like, they obviously value him defensively. That's like no question, but do you believe in him enough? Do they believe in him enough that they can either, either, figure out this, the offense where they don't necessarily need a huge volume from him, or does he take that leap that they were hoping he took this year, take it next year. And then he can be um, that offensive threat alongside Darius and Donovan. And I think this off season is going to be really telling of that. Um, And I don't know if I know it, (laughs) like, I don't know yet. Like, I'm like, I'm curious because I think we saw like, I think there were moments where we saw Isaac succeed. I think of that, you know, that Brooklyn um, hit that three at the end. And, but like the confidence to take that shot in that moment, knowing the game was on the line and he took it and made it like, that's such a, like a confidence booster for him. So it's there. It's just the consistency factor and the, and the volume factor. Um, So I think like, this offseason will be really telling next season will be really telling in the sense that if he can, if they don't move, like if he's around, if he's on the team next year um, in that sense, I think of like, 
if he can take that jump, that's going to be really important for him um, to be a part of this team in the future. I think we all really want him to to yeah. succeed. Now, you know, when I look at him, you know, just from the general, just top down, um, you're talking about a guy who was drafted in a very weird time. You know, it's COVID season. There was no real evaluation. It just completely, uh, completely skewed the evaluation process for most teams. So after those first couple of picks, teams just did not know what they're going to get. Right. Now, you know, obviously that the the tape was on. You know, there was tape of Isaac Coro. Obviously, he had latent abilities as a catch and shoot option. Mm-hmm. Obviously, on the defensive end, that's where the Cavs envisioned him. You know, the the perimeter defense. That's what they aimed to get when acquiring. Isaac Okoro in that draft fifth overall you know a lot of people would think you know at this point in time that he's kind of been of a disappointment being drafted that high I have removed myself from that I'm just like you know at this point I don't care where he was drafted I want the guy to be successful I, I I'm trying to recognize that it was a very odd draft and that you know if you if you tie his statistical output strictly to his draft slot you're probably never going to be happy Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, when you look at his game, I think there is still a lot there that is untapped. I think some of that has to be on the coaching staff, but a lot of it is on Isaac as well. Um, the biggest thing to me in regards to getting him more looks, I think this team could very much benefit from a faster pace. He's <laughs> uh, <play> so slow. <laughs> specifically him. Like it works. You know, yeah. we've seen Miami is doing this right now and it works. So I'm mm-hmm. not going to, I can't harp on it too much because teams, if you know how to do it, if you have the correct personnel, you can make it work. And the Cavs did to the tune of 51 games this season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, with the slowest pace in basketball and Miami was right there behind them. And you see where they're at right now. Yeah. But for a guy like Isaac Okoro, I just can't help but feel that he could thrive in a faster-paced environment, more looks in transition, more catch-and-shoot opportunities possibly. And ultimately, if the Cavs don't end up doing that, I just don't see him getting more looks. I don't see him getting more opportunities because we know the the uh, the majority of those are going to go to the backcourt, and then they're going to want Evan Mobley to continue to ascend on, you know, on the offensive end. So I just don't see where he gets those extra opportunities. So being able to capitalize on what he gets right now, it's going to be highly important heading into next season. And if he is not able to do that, I think that he will end up being packaged together in some type of, in some type of deal at at, at some point, but you know, who's to say right now, Um, (laughs) I really want the guy to be successful yeah. Um, you know, the Knicks series obviously did not leave a good taste in anybody's mouth. Although I will say this and, you know, feel free to disagree. I do feel in the minutes after game two, I think he was legitimately impactful, um, especially on the defensive end. I just don't think he played enough. I don't think he got enough minutes. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting, you know, adjustment to and I, I understood it in a sense of you're trying to add some offense. Um, yeah. while, so inserting Karis. But Yes, like I like in his minutes, he was so good defensively. Like he was, I don't know, he locked down guys across the board and and just made it difficult. And you know, guys are going to get their shots, but he's really good at that aspect. But yeah, I, I don't think his minutes were necessarily enough to be as impactful as he could have been um, on, especially on the defensive end of the floor. 
Yeah, and you know, hopefully, you know, they're able to figure out the answer to this. I know a lot of people are of the mindset, and I got to ask this just because I have you here. Um, we've seen a lot of firings. <laughs> this yeah. Oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> it's kind of scary. Uh, we've seen a lot of people be let go, really experienced, really good head coaches. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much of that is to do with just like the uh, the popularity it seems to, to to fire guys after, you know, and and what they deem an unsuccessful season, because I do feel like there is a, there is a level of consistency you need to be able to have, like to have, to achieve long-term success. We just saw Mike Budenholzer win a title not too long ago. And, you know, he's already out in the street, Frank Vogel, same thing with him uh, a season or two ago. And, you know, it just continues to, to be the trend. Nick nurse, he's out there. Mm -hmm. Um, JB Bickerstaff is still the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, I'm I'm a JB fan. I, I believe that it's warranted that he deserves at least one more year. Uh, you know, to 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 show what he can do with an improved, uh, specifically more depth mm-hmm. uh, on the roster. Twenty two wins, forty four wins, fifty one wins. Progression, at least during the regular season, he has shown it. the The postseason record, a lot of people don't love it. It's two and ten right now, but I don't hold that first series against him because he lost to the eventual champion gold state warriors. Mm. Um, if you look at just this series under uh, a microscope, yeah, you can really get pissed off <laughs> at certain, uh, certain things that he did, but some of it was understandable due to lack of depth. Right. Um, when you're looking at JB Bickerstaff and his position right now with his standing right now with this Cavaliers team, do you feel that the Cavs are possibly making a mistake by kind of sticking with him when there are some proven and experienced guys out there? I don't think so because I think to your point earlier of there's kind of the, the, the long-term aspect of this that I think is really important in this of JB has seen this from the ground up. Basically they had been through all of these steps and to get to this point, like, and again, it's not, not saying that there aren't things that can be better, but there is just a belief in, okay, we are to this point. We've gotten to this point and JB can lead us farther than that. Um, I thought it was interesting because a lot of this came up with Kobe Altman in his end of season news conference. And I got a chance to talk with him and um, Chris Fedor on the side for a little bit. And he was like, please like end this idea, <laughs> the speculation of firing JB. Like we are sticking with him. And, and again, like, you take that with a grain of salt of things can change, but um, I understand why, you know, because I think, and I think a lot of this has to do with he very much connects with the players and we've seen how that really is an important factor. If, if a head coach does not have the command of his locker room, but the, the relationships with the locker room, like that can really affect things. And these guys believe in JV and it's, and vice versa. And they have real, relationships they have you know honest conversations that guys really appreciate and play a really big factor in 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 that and I think like that kind of like that plays a factor in that obviously there is now kind of a timeline on things of okay so we've gotten to this point you know they got 51 wins they got to the Mm -hmm. playoffs now they need to take another step further and if that can't happen like that's going to raise some questions which is fair but I think in the grand scheme of things kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier of 
this season was not contention or bust. The season wasn't Eastern Conference Finals or or we're blowing everything up kind of thing. And, and <laughs> JB plays a factor in that of, okay, he coached them to this point, has seen them through this and got to the playoffs. Now this is a learning opportunity and they have to get better. He has to get better. And I, I think that's kind of a very mutual like um, feeling and knowing that there is a lot to improve. Um, but, you know, I think to the point of, you know, he got them to this point and to an extent like deserves to sort of see this through uh, to continue to see it through because it builds on the, um, the longevity of longevity of it all. And I think, cause you think of like, you know, Mike Malone's been in Denver and how we've seen that play out. And I think that's, that's a really good testament of, when you stick with the coach and see, you know, eventually see success. And like, that just kind of has to be an organizational mindset um, and not just so, like some, some of these maybe more emotional moves that have happened <laughs> around the league. <laughs> I mean, you're not lying. I mean, yeah. I, I often wonder how much of this is like fan pressure, how much of yeah. it as an emotional reaction to losing a series. Cause I mean, like we talked ad nauseum you know uh, just a few seasons back about monty williams about how great of a coach he was and he got them Mm -hmm. to the point of the finals and you know he got canned he got canned after having a pretty depleted roster you know well i won't say depleted i'll say top heavy top heavy is probably the better way to go about that didn't have any real depth with phoenix after trading for Kevin Durant, obviously, and he didn't even get the opportunity to have a full season with KD. Like, to me, like, what kind of message does that send to other head coaches who might be looking to come in? Um, you can, I obviously, you know, we we don't have a, we're not flies on the wall here. We don't know what's going on from an internal standpoint at other locations like Milwaukee. We don't know why some of these guys were let go. We don't know why Nick Nurse you know, players or coaches rather like that. We we don't really have any real way of knowing what goes on, but we can only speculate that these are, some of these do seem to be emotional. And I just don't <laughs> want Cleveland to end up in this same space. Like we already know that, you know, everything that, that, that comes here is earned. The Cavaliers have largely built themselves up from the ground, uh, from the ground up rather outside of the, Donovan Mitchell acquisition. And you could even argue that that was done out of homegrown talent and being able to just throw assets, you know, when when they felt that there was a window of opportunity. And so I see JB at this point in time as warranting at least one more season. Uh, And to your point, if we're, if we're talking about the same type of things next season, I think criticism is warranted. Um, I, I think that, any type of speculation in that regard, people side eyeing him and his, you know, whatever aside, um, uh, adjustments that he makes or lack thereof, I think that would be perfectly warranted next season if we are still seeing these same types of things. Oh. I, and just to ask you, because I, I don't think I've had the opportunity to just yet, do you think that from from an X's and O's standpoint on his behalf, do you think there's anything? What could he have done differently during that Nick series? That's the thing is I, I really don't think there was a ton. And like, cause I saw all the, the discourse on Twitter where I was like, make adjustments, make adjustments. So I was like, <laughs> I mean, you really just mean just win a game. That's really what you're saying. Like when people are saying that, like you want your team to win. And I get that. 
problem is, is they don't have, they didn't have the depth necessary to make the necessary, th those kinds of adjustments per se, like from a, yeah, from an X and O standpoint, like, I don't really think there was anything <laughs> crazy that would have changed. You know what I mean? Like, because a lot of it was like, okay, so you're not grabbing offensive rebounds. That's a big thing. You're not um, making shots. Okay. Well, so you can go down the bench. Sure. <laughs> But the guys that didn't play weren't shooting well before the playoffs started. So I also understand not like trying to keep your rotation tight and allowing those guys the space to do that because like adding another guy in that's struggling to shoot is like in, and kind of messing up that chemistry in a sense, like isn't going to help the situation. So I don't know when I looked and I went back and watched multiple games. Like I watched, I watched game four and I watched game five again. And I was just like, I don't really see there was, like, there was a ton of adjustments to make other than if you could make some shots, but that's also not on JV, you know, that's, and like, you know, they were taking, I think what was even more frustrating in a sense from like when talking to players and everything, they were getting for the most part, decent shots. They liked they the shots they were getting. They were like shots that Donovan makes, you know, 90% of the time or like Darius makes, et cetera. Like they were getting good looks. They just weren't falling. And it's unfortunate that it happened in the playoffs, but like that happens throughout the season. We, we, there's been multiple games that you could refer to where shots weren't falling and they lost a game, but like, it just kind of obviously looks it when it piles up in the playoffs, it kind of, it's highlighted more so, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really like when, like, like I said, when I went back and looked, I was like, I don't know. I don't think there was any like major, major adjustment that you could have made that would have like drastically affected things. Because you look at it too. I'm like, I think about okay. So we tried playing. They've tried Danny Green in there, who was supposed mm -hmm. to come in to be, you know, a perimeter threat, and that like wasn't as successful. Um, and for a lot of reasons, like there's, you know, he's just now back a year from his injury, so like that's a factor. You have to get that playing time. Ricky Rubio wasn't um, as effective as he could have been in his minutes um, and kind of similar thing of, you know, so you're not getting the same Ricky Rubio, which wasn't expected, obviously coming back from his injury, but, but you're not having then that point guard in that second unit, the way that they probably needed to do ha needed to have in order to be successful. Um and you don't have consistency at the three or the depth at the three for for or for a reliable three, I should say, um, that it's going to warrant what you need. So I don't know. I think it was more so a depth thing, and I think it really just got highlighted um, in the playoffs versus in the regular season. That's precisely where I'm at. Like for me, the biggest in regards to depth, I think it really showed at the four and five position because yeah. you're playing Evan Mobley and Jared Allen damn near 40 minutes, really almost all the starters played heavy minutes outside yeah. of the three who that those minutes were kind of split between Jetty Karras and Okoro. But at that four and five position, not having a third big was just brutal, especially when you're watching Julius Randall, um, Mitchell Robinson dominate on the offensive glass. And then Isaiah Hardenstein come in and give the Knicks really good minutes. Mm -hmm. That really hurt by the way. <laughs> wow, right. <laughs> Watching him provide them with just like solid playoff minutes. That was that was brutal to watch, but that just goes back to the depth. Like not having 
guys available to give these guys a breather. And I think a lot of what we saw to get around that during the regular season was staggering of minutes, you know, especially prior to Kevin Love being uh, benched and whatnot. They were able to get away with that because obviously Kevin Love can still rebound to a pretty good degree. He can still he's still a threat to knock down the three ball, although the percentages plummeted, um, you know, after that injury. But they couldn't do that. Obviously, they had to go small in the playoffs. They tried Dean Wade. That didn't work. Lamar Stevens can only do so much. And Robin Lopez, you know, we love him for his vibes. But he's, <laughs> yeah. if you're having to play him, you're like you're in, you're in massive trouble if you're having to play him in the postseason. But I say all that to say, just to kind of loop it back around. Um, it reminds me of something that I heard Jeff Van Gundy say the other day on the broadcast during that Miami game. And that's that, you know, when you're talking about adjustment, <laughs> it's gotten overplayed. It's just like, just play better. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's what it comes down to. Like the coach can't do everything. Like he can only motivate you past a certain point. He can only play so many guys. He can't make shots for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can't certainly can't rebound the basketball for you. So um, some of that is on the players. Um, I do not completely absolve JB of blame. I'll, I'll be the first to say that. But yeah. I just I just think we've gotten to the point where, you know, just because some of these other guys available, that doesn't mean that JB has to be canned. Um, Because I don't think you're sending a good message if you do that. Exactly. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, I mean, it's kind of a, it's a collective um, necessity to take blame for what happened, you know, and said, like, there is only so much he can do. And then some of it comes to, you got to go do it on the court. And if you're not doing it, and, you know, I thought was interesting with during exit interviews and what kind of, I didn't understand this discourse as either was guys were very honest um, during those, those exit interviews. Tear it out, especially. Exactly. And then people got mad and I was like, wait, you hold on people. Like you want them to be honest. And so they're talking about what, what went wrong. They're taking, you know, responsibility for it. They're, they're acknowledging it. They don't really have an answer, but they're, they're, they're being honest. And that's what you want from those guys and I don't know. I, I thought it just was interesting of how like the discourse following the postseason. <laughs> I mean, it's always going to be that way, you yeah. know, for any team after a, such a disappointing loss. But I think that you know we got so spoiled for so long with postseason excellence, you know, with with LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love and company. Uh, we got spoiled for years. So to get that first taste of playoff basketball after such a long layoff and undergoing a rebuild. It just brings out the the worst sometimes <laughs> in the fan base. Uh, and I get it. You know, fandom is not an exact science. It's just one of those things that can be really crazy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, to close things out today, I we, we did get – we heard somewhat of a rumor. I don't know if it's been proven true yet that the Cavs possibly intend on uh, bringing back Jetty Osman, who's – whose uh, deal at this point, I think his next season is non-guaranteed and Lamar Stevens. Um, what do you make of that? Do you think it's just a depth play or do you think the Cavs are signaling that they're going to give these guys another opportunity in the rotation? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, I think it's at first, if, like first and foremost is a depth thing. Um, and I think they've, because we've seen throughout the season, the last couple of seasons, different moments where where guys like Lamar and guys like Jetty can be that spark off the bench can can play a really 
important role. Um, and so if you're not seeing options out there that, that they think are better suited for this group, like it would make sense to bring them back and kind of run it back in a sense, um, and allow them to continue. Um, I think as well, like, you know, it's kind of a, you're, you're, you're giving them another chance to prove that they should be in the rotation and, or more consistently in the rotation, you know, and, and by bringing them back, you allow that door to be open and it like they now have a chance to prove that. And I think that's kind of um, a really important element to it of like, you know, you can't show that you should be in the rotation if you don't have that opportunity. And, you know, with, with Jetty's contract being non-guaranteed right now, I think he had, they have until the end of June to pick that, pick it up or to guarantee it. Sorry. And then Lamar is on a club option. Um, that, you know, it's kind of giving them that, that chance, um, to prove themselves even more so. And, um, and I think for them, a lot of it is consistency. Um, you know, it's not like we've seen moments where they have had incredible games that they've played, you know, Jetty's hit, what was it? That game was like five, three, six, three, something crazy, yeah, yeah. you know, um, or Lamar has been really good defensively and hit, you know, hit those shots. And so there's just moments where they've shown that it's just kind of building out that, okay, can you be a consistent rotational guy um, and not, you know, kind of fall in and out of the lineup or be more of a spark guy? Like there, where is they, where is the consistency? So I think, you know, from just particularly a depth standpoint, they're relatively cheap. You know, they're, I think that's what it boils down to. It's cheap. You don't know what you're going to be able to get with the MLE. Um, you know, I think that's really going to be something heading into this postseason that is going to have many people speculating on who the Cavs could potentially bring in. And that's not necessarily at their call. You know, they, they're going to have to wait things out. They're going to have to see who's actually interested and who's available. Uh, we've heard a lot of names out there, but we just don't know what's going on right now. So I, I get the allure of bringing back some guys who've been in the system mm-hmm. um, who are still relatively cheap and can still give you something. When I, you know, when I say that, I mean more specifically in my opinion, because I don't think the ship is set on Lamar. I'm still a pretty big Lamar Stevens guy, but I think when you're talking about perimeter spacing, when you're talking about a guy who can still knock down shots at a pretty high clip, although inconsistently, um, Jetty Osmond. I mean, we're talking about a guy who still just knocked down 37.2% of his triples during the regular season, which is by far the hot for, for many of the reserves that the Cavs have right now. And he still can get hot. He's still kind of a microwave in that regard. We saw that during the regular season. Um, it just boils down to me additional depth um, and maybe possible trade chips, uh, you know, at, at a certain point. But you never know. I, I I honestly believe it's a good idea. I have no idea if this is actually true. I'm sure it is. But <laughs> um, this is that time of the season. You know, it's that time of the year where you're, you're constantly hearing rumors. You don't really know what's what's true or false unless you're <laughs> yeah. severely connected. But um, I'm I can understand the moves. I guess all that to say that I definitely understand it because we just don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen with the mid-level exception. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's going to be the biggest question is like, and because depending on who's available, you know, you bring in maybe one rotational guy, like two, like that's all your mid-level is going to bring in. And so that's 
not enough depth, obviously. So, so why it makes sense in that sense to bring, to just add to the depth and then, okay. So depending on who's available, you go bring out one, what you go bring back one guy with your mid-level exception, but then those guys can add even more depth like behind him. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. And like you said, there's so many names floating around. <laughs> I think like, it's going to be interesting with like, obviously watching the rest of the playoffs because like guys in who are now still in the playoff mix um, could earn contracts off of that, you know, or big in big paydays. So it's just going to be kind of interesting to see like once free agency starts, what happens and how this all kind of plays out. Absolutely. And I think uh, Cavs fans are going to be kind of waiting with bated breath <laughs> in regards <laughs> to that because it's like many of them are trade Jared Allen or bust, uh, you know, make the most of Donovan Mitchell's window here. But just sit back and be patient. Mm-hmm. Let Kobe Altman work his magic. We've seen him do that the past couple of off seasons. Um, he'll make something happen, in my opinion. But uh, with that being said, like we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at his Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Kelsey, thank you so much for coming back and talking some Cavs basketball, talking some sense, and to <laughs> some of the viewers here <laughs> and uh, talking them off the ledge. Uh, got anything you're working on? Not at the moment. It's a little bit of a like down period with it being the off season, but trying to work on some things for like some bigger features for later in the in the summer. So keep an eye out. <laughs> Definitely will. Make sure you guys check out Kelsey's work on the athletic. That said, go Cavs. Have a good one.